0: Welcome to First church so great to see you everybody. My name's Chad. If it's your first Sunday here we welcome you and I also want to welcome in our Stone Canyon family as well as others who are joining us online. So if you would put your hands together welcome them to our time of study here today. Well, I just want to see by a show of hands at both of our campuses, how many of you guys have ever been tempted or maybe you've actually bought something that you've seen on an infomercial? You know, these items are called like as-seen-on-TV items. So let me just see, show of hands, both our campuses, how many of you guys have ever been tempted or maybe you've actually bought an as-seen-on-TV item? Okay, several of you. Well, I have never bought one of these items until this past week, but I've been tempted several times in the past to buy some of these items I've seen on TV. And you may you may recognize some of these items that I've been tempted to buy the first one is known as the lazy housekeeper mop shoes anybody seen these before I think this is extremely practical, honestly. I mean, think about it. If you don't feel like mopping your floor or dusting your floor, you just slip these little slipper shoes on, you can walk around and you clean your floor as you walk. I mean, somebody was using their noggin on that one. It's extremely practical. Or how about this one, the Angry Mama Microwave Cleaner. Now, I love this. I didn't know they made things like this, but we could use this at my house. I have no idea why they made it an Angry Mama, but still, I think it could be fun and I could use something like this. How about this one? This is one of my favorites. The selfie toaster. So if you don't want to look at your loved one across the kitchen table, just put their face on a piece of toast, butter them up, and then you can look at them as you eat. Uh, that's a little weird, but still it was unique. But one of my favorite all-time favorites definitely and this is these type of things have been around for several years. In fact they date back to the 1950s. They've been different versions of them. These ab belts, you know what I'm talking about? They're these ab energizer belts. And basically you put these belts on and they pump electronic waves into your stomach and they give you six pack abs and they tone your abs without any effort or workout whatsoever, at least they claim. Now, if you work out while using it, they say that you can get six-pack abs faster, but you don't have to. In fact, one commercial I watched advertising one of these belts said, you could sit behind your office desk with this belt on, you'd be driving in your car, there's no, uh, now you can get rock-hard abs with no sweat. That's what they advertised. And so, when I was a kid and I saw commercials for these types of belts, I thought, you know, I would love to have one of these because I was like you know, a kid getting to be a teenager and I wanted six-pack abs and all that. So I thought, you know, I would love to have one of these belts. And I thought about buying one, but I didn't. But now that I'm adult and I was going through all these ass Seen on TV items, I thought, I'm going to get one. So I ordered one just the other day. Now, I didn't know it was going to be pink. That was an added benefit, that it was going to be pink. But I bought this thing and I thought, you know, I'm going to wear this maybe every single Sunday. I'm going to wear this and I'm going to see if I can get six-pack abs. And this is how it works. Put it on, i'm going to see if I can demonstrate it for you. I don't know. You put it on and you set it, and you start feeling the vibrations in your stomach now this is This is nice. I like this actually this is This is good I could do this all. All sermon, really? Uh, No, not really. It's kind of weird. I'm going to take it off. But I look cool, don't I? Yeah. Now, the thing is, even though you feel the vibrations because there's these sensors on the back, I did a little research on these things. Guess what? There is no science to back up these belts whatsoever. In fact, research has proved they do not work. They do not do what they claim to do. And yet, companies have sold millions and millions of these belts. And they will come out in different forms. They'll take on different shapes and colors and whatever else. They'll claim to do different things. They'll make up new commercials and they will rebrand them and repackage them, but they don't work. And like I said, these things have been around since the 1950s. People have bought them, millions of dollars have been sold when it comes to these belts, and yet, it's an absolute lie. They don't work. And it's interesting to me that people continue to buy into the lie. And it just proves to me that just because you can package something up real nicely and you can brand it in a certain way that's appealing and you can make a nice commercial, just because you can do all that, you can wrap it up in a package that looks real nice, doesn't make it true. A lie is still a lie. Now, when I was thinking about these different as-seen-on-TV items, I thought, you know, I can make some money because if you package anything just right, you can sell anything. So I had this idea. We can sell these and we can pay off our church building debt, okay? I came up with what I'm calling the encourager scale. Now, this looks like a typical bathroom scale but it's not. Instead of giving you your actual weight when you step on it instead it just encourages you so that you have a good self-image and so this is how it works. It actually talks to you. You don't read anything on it. It talks to you once you step on it. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. Ready? So here we go. Your body weight is just right. Eat more Oreos. Did you hear that? Your body weight is just right. Eat more Oreos. Don't you think those would sell? I think people would buy those. I think that's a great idea. Now, here's the thing. What this says may not be true, but people will buy it, right? This may not help you out whatsoever when it comes to living a healthy lifestyle, but people will buy it if you package it just right, if you brand it just right, if you market it just right. But just like the Ab Energizer belt, it doesn't matter how well it's packaged, a lie is still lie. In John chapter 8, Jesus says some famous words. You've probably heard them before. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've probably heard me say before, if Jesus claims that the truth can set us free, then the opposite of that is also true. If the truth can set us free, then lies have the power to hold us hostage. And Satan Our enemy he loves to dress up lies and parade them around as truth so that we don't see his lies for what they are and his hope is that if we don't see through them then we will buy into them and by following those lies we will end up destroying our lives he will take us captive In John chapter 8, Jesus says about Satan, verse 44, the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a master liar. And one of his primary tactics that he uses to get us to buy into his lies is by making his lies sound spiritual, sound religious, even biblical, so that we mistake a lie for truth. And then he can trick us into doing his bidding. He can trick us into doing things that are unhealthy for our spiritual eyes, for our physical eyes, for our emotional well-being. And that's why we started this series a few weeks ago entitled, What the Bible Doesn't Say, or That the Bible Doesn't Say That, because we want to expose some of these myths, some of these lies that are floating around in our culture today that sound biblical, that sound spiritual, that people think are from God. But that really aren't. In fact, a lot of these lies that we've been talking about, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of what they claim. And guys, I can't tell you how many occasions when I've been having conversations I've had with people, when they have looked at me and they have said, you know, Chad, the Bible says yada, 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 in the words of Jerry Seinfeld. You know, the Bible says yada, 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 and I listen to yada, 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 and I'm thinking, the Bible doesn't say anything close to that. And I will have loving conversations with these people, and I'll be like, you know, I don't think that's in there. Oh, yeah, it's in there, it's in there. And I hate to play this card, but sometimes I'm like, listen, I got four degrees in theology. It's not in there, okay? I promise you it's not in there and I'll pull out my phone and open up biblegateway.com and you know, show it to me show me where you think it is and let's do a search for it and they can't find it and even after searching for several minutes they'll come back and say oh I just know it's in there somewhere and I'm thinking it's not in fact what the Bible teaches is the opposite of what you're claiming I hear that all the time because Satan loves to take lies dress them up like truth so that we will buy into them And one dangerous lie that I've heard over and over again throughout my life, and especially during my time in located ministry, is this lie. God wants you to follow your heart. God just wants you to follow your heart. Now that statement seems innocent enough on the surface. It even sounds a little spiritual. But our leader, Jesus, he teaches something very different than that. Jesus teaches that our hearts can be easily deceived, that our hearts can be going in a different direction than God's hearts can be out of sync with God's heart. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to a crowd, to an audience of people, and listen to what he says about the crowd that was gathered there on that day. Matthew 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, our hearts can be out of sync with God's heart, and when that happens, we start to chase after things that God knows aren't good for us. Because in all reality, that statement, follow your heart, really just means do whatever makes you happy. In all reality, when people say, hey, I'm just following my heart, what they're really saying is, I just want to do in the moment whatever makes me happy, And if we're being honest with each other this morning, I would dare say that most of us have lived by the, I just want to do whatever makes me happy script before. And sadly, that script has been an influence on way too many of our life decisions. And the Bible reminds us over and over again this truth, the more you follow the do whatever makes you happy mindset, the more unhappy you will become. That's what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, that's what Solomon had to figure out the hard way. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10. He writes, I gave myself everything my eyes wanted. There wasn't any pleasure that I refused to give myself. And that word myself in the Hebrew, it's the same word we translate heart. There wasn't any pleasure, Solomon says, I refused to give my heart. And look at his conclusion. And nothing had any meaning. It was like chasing the wind. Nothing was gained on this earth. Solomon realized over time, the do-whatever-makes-you-happy lie, the do-whatever-makes-you-happy script, it just leads to more and more misery. That it doesn't leave you feeling content. it doesn't leave you satisfied, but you just continue to do more and more things that are destructive and unhealthy when it comes to your spiritual life. And Satan knows this, and that's why Satan desperately wants us to believe this lie because he knows if he can get us to buy into this lie, just to follow our hearts and do whatever makes us feel good, do whatever makes us feel happy in the moment, then we will end up destroying the life that God has given us. And here's the thing, the Scripture, the Bible, it is full of examples of men and women who believe this lie, who did just that. Eve thought eating the forbidden fruit would make her happy, Cain thought getting rid of his brother would make him happy. Esau thought a bowl of soup would make him happy. Noah thought getting drunk would make him happy. Abraham thought lying would make him happy. David thought a one-night stand would make him happy. Amnon thought lusting after Tamar would make him happy. Samson thought marrying someone he shouldn't would make him happy. Jonah thought running from Nineveh would make him happy. The rich young ruler thought that his wealth would make him happy. James and John thought power and authority would make them happy. Peter thought people pleasing would make him happy. Judas thought 30 pieces of silver would make him happy. And Brandon, he thought looking at porn would make him happy. Amy, she thought remodeling her home would make her happy. Tom, He thought embezzling money would make him happy. Jay, he thought simply dating someone would make him happy, even if that person wasn't healthy for him. Amber thought sleeping with her boyfriend would make her happy. Jason thought getting wasted would make him happy. Ashley thought spending money she didn't have to go shopping would make her happy. And Chris thought living a secret life would make him happy. Our enemy, Satan... He knows that if he can get us to follow the do-whatever-makes-you-happy script, the just-follow-your-heart script, he will just lead us to do more and more self-destructive behavior, and it will lead us to more and more emptiness. And that's why the Bible repeatedly reminds us there is no quicker way to become unhappy than to pursue personal happiness and pleasure at all costs. Now, some of you might be thinking, as I preach this, some of you might be thinking, well, Chad, does that mean that God wants me to be unhappy? Does that mean that God doesn't want me to be happy? Well, no, not at all. See, sometimes preachers will say this line. I've heard it over and over, and you probably have too. God doesn't want us to be happy. God wants us to be holy. Anybody ever heard that before? God doesn't want us to be happy. God wants us to be holy. I've heard that over and over again throughout my life. I may have even said something like that because it sounds good. God doesn't want us to be happy. God wants us to be holy. But as I have matured in my faith and as I've grown spiritually, I don't really like that statement. And here's why I don't like it. Because it pits two things against one another that I believe are supposed to go together. It pits happiness and holiness against one another as if they are opposed to one another. As if you have to choose one or the other. You have to choose happiness or holiness, but you can't have both. And I disagree with that. And yet we all know Christians that believe you have to choose one or the other. And they have chosen To be unhappy. (laughs) They've chosen to be miserable. And so they walk around in misery. but I'm holy. And some of those people are the very reason why I have friends that aren't part of the church. Because who wants to be around a bunch of people who are just unhappy all the time? Who are just miserable all the time? See, the Bible doesn't teach that happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive. The Bible teaches that holiness leads to true and lasting happiness. They are interconnected. Because here's the thing, the God we serve is our loving heavenly father. And just as every father wants his children to be happy, God wants us to be happy. But not at the cost of doing something that will harm us or hurt us. Not at the cost of doing something that will lead us to do something unhealthy in our lives. God wants us to be happy. But he doesn't want us to do things that are unwise in order to be happy. You guys know that here at First Church we have a cafe out in our gathering area. And we have donuts and snacks and coffee and other drinks and all sorts of stuff out there that you guys can get. And let me just tell you something. You may not realize this. You may not know this. But you guys go through the donuts on a Sunday. I just want to let you know. You guys love your donuts around here. Amen? You do. I know you do. Some of you guys are eating one right now. I know. You guys love your donuts, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but normally, we have very few donuts left over after a Sunday, and if you look at our trash when we're finished on a Sunday, we've got boxes and boxes that are empty that once had donuts in them. And it's kind of funny to see all those empty boxes just stacked up as we're going to throw them away. But a few Sundays ago is a holiday weekend Sunday, summer Sunday, and we were down in our attendance, and so we had a lot of donuts left over, and one of our cafe workers said, hey, Chad, why don't you take some of these home to your kids because we it's going to throw them away and I was okay sure so I took a box of a dozen donuts home to my family and as soon as I got home Alex my five-year-old he wanted to eat one I was like no let's wait till the morning let's wait till breakfast and he wasn't real happy with me but he said okay I can do that 5 a.m. the next morning, he wakes me up. He's like, Daddy, I'm ready for a donut. I'm ready for a donut. And I'm like, it's 5 a.m., but okay, that's fine. I promise you. So I went and got him a donut. Let me tell you, he scarfed it down. I mean, he just almost swallowed that donut whole. And then he looked at me, he said, can I have another one? And this wasn't probably my best parenting moment, but I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I want to go back to sleep, sure. And so I gave him another donut, and he scarfed that one down, and then he wanted a third donut. And I'm like, no, I got to cut you off here. (laughs) You know, you can't have more than two donuts. You're just five years old. Nobody probably needs more than two donuts in one setting. I was like, no, you don't need another donut. Two's enough. And he got upset. I mean, he cried. He whined. He was mad at me. And I said, buddy, you can't handle more than two donuts. And he looked at me. He said, daddy, I could eat that whole box right now. And here's the thing. If you know my son, he probably could have. He probably could have ate a dozen donuts at one time. But... Would he have felt very good when he finished? (laughs) No, we all know he would have been sick. It would not have been worth it. But in his mind, in that moment, that's what he wanted right then, right now. Was I being mean as a dad by saying, Nope, I'm not going to let you have more than two donuts? Of course not. I was looking out for him, for his long term happiness and well being. But he just wanted what he wanted in the moment. And guys, I believe that's why God has given us instructions and teachings and commands in Scripture. God isn't being mean. He isn't trying to hold us back from having fun or anything like that. God is concerned about our long-term well-being, our long-term happiness. So he puts these parameters up for us to follow because he doesn't want us to harm ourselves in the long run. He's looking out for us. He is our loving Heavenly Father. You see, God wants us to be happy, but his definition of happiness is very different from our world's definition of happiness from our culture's definition of happiness our culture chases after whatever brings in pleasure in the moment but God wants to lead us into a deeper kind of happiness that lasts and that continually feeds our souls listen to what psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 says the scripture says happy are those happy are those who don't listen to the wicked who don't go where sinners go, who don't do what evil people do. They love the Lord's teachings and they think about those teachings day and night. They are strong like a tree planted by a river. The tree produces fruit in season and its leaves don't die. In other words, those who follow God's commands, they may not get the instant pleasure, the instant gratification that others get by just chasing after whatever their heart desires in the moment, but in season... They experience lasting happiness. They have spiritual lives that don't die. They have lives that are fulfilled and satisfied and complete. And yeah, they may not have the satisfaction that everybody else gets in the moment by just chasing after whatever's in front of them. But in season, they live a full, complete, fulfilled life. God is our loving Father And he wants us to find and experience happiness, but not at the cost of doing something that is going to hurt us or harm us, not at the cost of doing something unwise or unhealthy. Yeah, Alex, you could have a donut or two, but you can't have a dozen because that's not going to be good for you in the long run. And when I think about the parameters that God places on certain things in our lives, a couple examples come to mind. I think of money, for example. You know, we just had a series on money not too long ago, and I said in that series, I'll say it again today, money in and of itself is not evil. It's not a bad thing. In fact, if you've been given some wealth, that is a gift from God that He wants you to use for His purposes. Money is not a bad thing. Some people will say the Bible says money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, and there's a difference. Because as long as you handle your money within the parameters that God has established, you're money can be very fulfilling and worthwhile but when you step outside of those boundaries money can lead to destructive behavior It's the same thing with sex guys the Bible teaches sex is a gift from God he gave it to us for our enjoyment he gave it to us for our pleasure he wants us to experience it but within the boundaries the parameters he has established which is between one man and one woman in marriage, in the covenant of marriage, between a husband and a wife. And when sex is practiced within the boundaries that God has established, it is fulfilling, it is satisfying, and you get the most out of it. But you step outside of those boundaries that God has established, and it can be extremely destructive emotionally, spiritually, even physically. And a lot of people do things that make them feel good in the short run, but it ends up bringing destruction in the long run. And so we have a choice to make. We can follow our hearts and do whatever feels good in the moment, which will eventually lead to destruction, and it will. Or we can lead our hearts to Jesus, follow him, which leads to greater levels of life. And the Bible is pretty clear about what we should do. In Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. He's speaking to followers of Jesus here, those who have been baptized, those who have been raised with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Jesus is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Did you catch what Paul said here? Set your hearts. In other words, just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that your heart is automatically going to do what it's supposed to do. You've got to be intentional about pointing your hearts toward Jesus. You've got to set your hearts on him. And as you bring your hearts to him, then you can follow him and he will lead you to greater levels of life. In other words, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to Jesus and follow him. Let me say that again. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to Jesus and follow him. And like I said, this is something we have to be intentional about. Because if we're not, our hearts will start to coast. And they will get further and further away from God. And that's exactly what happened to a couple we read about in Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, look up with me, Acts chapter 5. And we're going to look at a couple that you've probably heard of before. Their names, Ananias and Sapphira. And what's interesting is, when we first learn about Ananias and Sapphira, what we discover is, or at least we get no indication that they were insincere followers of Jesus. From all indications, they were faithful to the church, they were faithful to the mission of Jesus. They had sincere and authentic, genuine faith. But somewhere along the line, they allowed Satan to push them further and further away from God. So here's our context Ananias and Sapphire, they were members of the first church in the city of Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem church was growing and it was basically expanding by leaps and bounds. I mean, it was they were influencing people by the day. And so the early Christians, they believed in the mission, the work of the church, and they started selling some of their property and their resources to fund the ministry of the church. And some of the church members were getting recognition and attention for doing this. And Ananias and Sapphire noticed that others were receiving recognition for selling their resources to advance the the church's mission and they wanted it. They thought that if they received that recognition, that attention, then it would make them happy. And so they came up with a scheme, they decided to sell a piece of land, a piece of property they owned, and they were going to claim they were gonna give all the money that they got from this piece of land to the church, but they didn't. They ended up holding back some for the sale for themselves. Now there's nothing wrong with that. If they want to sell a piece of property and give half to the church or a fourth of it to the church, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no one was forcing them to sell this piece of property, but what they did was they sold it, they kept some of the money back for themselves, but they claimed, they told everybody, this is the entire amount we got for the the property and we're giving it all to the church and of course God knew the truth and so God sent Peter one of the early church leaders to confront them let's see what Peter says to Ananias as he confronts him in verse 3 of Acts chapter 5 then Peter said Ananias why have you let Satan fill your heart you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished and after selling it the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't, trying, you weren't lying to us but to God. Now the question here that Peter asked Ananias is very interesting to me. Peter says, how could you do a thing like this? In other words, Ananias, you know better, you're a follower of Jesus. How could you think that this would be okay? What led you to go against what you knew was right? But Peter actually answers his own question as he's confronting Ananias. Look what Peter says in verse 3. Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? See, at some point along the way, Ananias and his wife Sapphira had stopped intentionally leading their hearts to Jesus, and their hearts, for whatever reason, had just started to coast. And pretty soon, they were so far away from God that they weren't even listening to God anymore, and they were living for themselves. And you see, some of you guys know the rest of the story, what happens. Ananias and Sapphira, as as they are confronted by Peter, they drop dead, they are struck down dead in that moment, and what's interesting, there's this kind of humorous line at the end of the passage, verse 11. It says, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I bet it did. I mean, people start falling down dead in the middle of church service. I bet great fear gripped the entire church. I, I bet they were scared to death. They probably had their best offering the next Sunday they had ever had, you know? That's, pretty, that's a pretty extreme consequence for lying. Now, let me just say, this isn't God's normal way of dealing with sin. This isn't even God's normal way of dealing with sin in the church. We don't have another example in the New Testament of somebody ever being struck down dead for any sin. So, why did this happen here and now? Well, I think this happened because God is setting an example in the earliest days of the church to warn everybody, to let them know how easy it is for your heart to be led astray, to make sure that you're intentionally... Sinking your heart up with his. And this passage reveals what happens when we stop leading our hearts to Jesus in order to follow him. See, if we don't intentionally lead our hearts to Jesus, the first thing that happens is our hearts will drift toward selfishness. If you look at verse 3, Peter says to Ananias, you kept some of the money for yourself. Ananias' motivations were selfish. He did what felt good in the moment and it didn't matter who he hurt, who he lied to. And when we're not intentionally leading our hearts to follow Jesus, we'll do the same. We will hurt people. We will neglect people. We will abuse people and use people just to get what we want. Why? Because life is all about us. Life is all about doing whatever feels good in the moment. And so what we end up doing is worshiping the false gods of comfort, pleasure, and things. And guys, this is the worldview, this is the mindset of the culture that we live in today. I mean, just follow songs by popular singers like Elvis, Barbara Mandrell, or Carly Rae Jepsen, and you will all hear the same question asked over and over again. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? But here's the thing, if wrong and right are about how we feel, then there's no room for God in the equation. And that leads me to the next point. See, when we don't intentionally lead our hearts to Jesus, our hearts will start to ignore God. In verse nine, Peter confronts Sapphira, Ananias' wife, and listen to what Peter says to her. How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? I know how they could do this. God wasn't a factor in their decision making. They left him out of the equation completely. See, here's the thing. When God is left out of the equation, his truth, His standard for living, his parameters, they become irrelevant. And you see, the absence of God leads to relativism. And I think that describes the culture that we're living in today, where all truth is relative. There are no absolutes, and in a culture that pushes God aside, what ends up happening is, hey, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me, and we don't, and there's no reason for us to argue about it. We're just all going to live in perfect harmony, and this leads down a slippery slope to something called humanism, which basically declares we're all our own gods. We are all masters of our own destiny. We're in charge. We get to define what is right and wrong. I'll follow my heart. I'll follow my truth. I'll do whatever feels good to me. You follow your heart. You follow your truth. You do whatever feels good to you. And we'll just all live happily ever after. Sounds good, right? Except it never works. It doesn't work. Guys, this is a picture of relativism and humanism in bed together upon the screen. This is a Nazi concentration camp. And that picture breaks my heart. To see children, anybody for that matter, but especially children, abused like that. This picture is symbolic of a stronger people group, not looking out for a weaker people group but making the wholesale decision to destroy the weaker people group. And here's the thing. We're okay with Darwin and Nietzsche and Marx and other humanist thinkers being taught in our classrooms, but we're not okay when we see that. We're not okay when it's actually lived out, practically lived out. But here's the thing. If you believe in relativism, you believe in humanism, you believe that there are no absolutes in life, there are no universal truths, then you can't argue with Hitler's logic because guys, he's just following his heart. He's just doing what he thinks is right. And who are we to tell him he's wrong if there are no absolutes? Now I get it, that's an extreme example, but that's why we need to be intentional about pointing our hearts to Jesus. And I don't bring that up to criticize the culture that we live in, which has embraced relativism wholesale. I don't don't bring that up to criticize the culture because I don't expect non Christians to live like Jesus because they don't know who he is. But what's happening is that mindset is creeping into the church and it's taking us over and it's influencing us. And when that happens, we're headed down the path to destruction. And that leads me to the last thing that we can learn from this passage in Acts chapter 5. When we don't intentionally lead our hearts to Jesus, our hearts will be overtaken by darkness. In verse 5, we've already looked at this question, but Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Notice what happened. Notice the, the cycle here. Notice the progression here. Ananias stopped leading his heart to Jesus, so his heart drifted to selfishness. His selfishness pushed God out, and the result... Satan took up residence in his heart. And Ananias, along with his his wife Sapphira, ended up in a place where they probably never thought they would be, that they never wanted to be, but that's where they were. And if you don't align your heart with Jesus' heart, you're going to end up in dangerous and dark places that always lead to emotional, spiritual, and physical death. And guys, I bring this up because I've been there. I've been in those dark places before. And I don't ever want to go back. I bring this up because if you're there right now, I love you too much for you to stay there. And God loves you too much for you to stay there. And that's why he sent his son. Jesus came so that our hearts wouldn't stay in darkness, but so that we could be led into the light and we could live out our true meaning, our true purpose. We can live out the design for which God created us to live. Jesus came. So that we could be set free from those lies that are holding us captive and live in the light that is of God. See, God doesn't want you there either because he loves you. And he does want you to be happy. And he knows that when you're not pointing your heart to his son and following him, the only thing that's gonna happen is darkness is going to overtake you and destruction then follows. So if you want to live a life of happiness, Guys, the only way to do that is not to follow your heart, but to lead your heart to Jesus and follow him. I mentioned a few weeks ago that my family had the chance to visit Disneyland earlier this year, and I'll never forget when we first got to Disneyland the first day. It was time for the park to open, and we pulled into the parking lot, and then we had to ride a shuttle to get to the front gate, and so we rode this shuttle. It was a Disney shuttle, so it was decked out, and Mickey Mouse and all that, and it was kind of cool, but we got there, and then once we got to the entrance... There were thousands and thousands of people waiting in line to get in. We thought we were just going to get there and go in, but that wasn't the case. And they had multiple different lines going, and still every line was just huge. And so we got at the back of one of the lines to wait our turn to get in. And, of course, you've got to go through metal detectors and all that kind of stuff. You've got to check your bags, so it takes forever. And we were probably in line 45 minutes before we ever actually got into the park. And so we're just waiting and we're waiting. But what was interesting was there was a family in front of us, actually a couple of people in front of us, that had a little boy. I would say he was about four years old, and he was upset because he really liked the Disney shuttle that he just got off of, and he wanted to get back on the shuttle. In fact, he kept saying over and over again, I want back on the bus, I want back on the bus, I want back on the bus. I mean, I probably heard that a thousand times as we waited in line, and his parents kept saying, no, no, the bus has served its purpose. It was to bring us here, and now we're going to go into Disneyland, and it's going to be so much more fun, but his little mind could not comprehend that. He liked the bus, and so he kept saying, I want back on the bus, I want back on the bus, and he whined, and he cried for 45 minutes. We heard this little kid whine over and over again about how he wanted to get back on the shuttle bus when Disneyland was right in front of him the entire time. And I think that's an illustration of what happens a lot of times in our lives as well. We cling to these little temporary things in life that we think will make us happy. We say, yeah, if I just pursue that, if I just chase after that, that'll make me happy and God is saying, let go of that stuff. That stuff is nothing compared to what I have in store for you. I've got something so much greater, so much better in store for you. You're going to live a fulfilled, satisfied, content life if you would just come to my son and follow him. Let go of all that other stuff. That's just a shuttle bus. You have no idea what I have in store for you. And yet, what do we continue to do? Whine and cry for the things of this world that ultimately don't matter. guys, if you want to live a happy, joy-filled life, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to Jesus and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we pause in this moment just to thank you for today and the time we've had to open up your word and learn from it, and we just pray that we can learn from this example that we looked at today and make sure that we're a people that aren't just following our hearts in the moment, but a people who are leading our hearts to Jesus and then following him. And we know that you have a greater life in store for us when we do just that. Thank you so much for Jesus, for him coming and leading us out of the darkness, for giving us the chance to be freed from the darkness that has overtaken our hearts so that we can live in the light of your son. In his name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.